Hey, Tommy, check that out, man. What, Vince? Where? It's the Old Head Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Now, before I get started this week, I'd like to take a second here to give a shout-out to a listener who emailed me. His name is Gustavo, and he is from Florianopolis. I'm thinking I'm saying that right. In Brazil. And he emailed me after listening to my Outsider's Guide to Metal podcast. If you haven't listened to that one yet, please go back and do so. And he was wanting my thoughts on the band Sepultura. And so, very quickly, I'm going to answer that question. And yes, 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 I love Sepultura. Caveat with Max Cavalera. Now, some of the stuff, I don't even remember the newer singer's name. That's how much I don't really care. The first album had some okay shit on it. It was kind of a cool little, hey, we're still Sepultura doing this different kind of thing. And it was interesting, but that kind of was it. It's not awful. It's just not Sepultura as I would like it to be. Sepultura was one of those great bands that made this incredible progression from this sort of blackened death metal band all the way through to this band that was pushing the boundaries of the whole groove metal thing and every single album is amazing ksad being my favorite but yes to answer gustavo's question i love sepultura up to a point and while i'm at it i'm gonna tell you guys to go check out gustavo's band he has a band that you can find it on spotify and apple music and they're called frank and os magneticos and if you're into that 70s rock thing these dudes sound like they came fucking right out of the 70s so go check it out And yes, folks, you too can get a shout out on this podcast if you want to email me with a question or a suggestion or request or fucking anything. Just do it at oldheadpodcast at gmail.com or down in the comments below if you're listening to this on YouTube. Now, let's get into this. So, this coming Friday, a movie that I've been very much looking forward to is finally going to be released on Netflix, and that movie is The Dirt. The movie that tells the story of the L.A. glam metal king's motley fucking crew. Now, is it going to be a good movie? I don't know. It looks pretty good from the trailer, but, you know, it could go either way. But that's not going to stop me from celebrating this band today. And not just that band. I'm going to talk about all the hype that was going on around the 80s glam metal explosion when Motley Crue was really influencing and dominating the scene. So maybe we should start by talking about where the glam metal scene came from. And quite obviously, it came from the glam rock scene. And that scene was big in the 70s. And really, it was mostly dominated by Alice Cooper, Kiss, the New York Dolls, bands like that. But I think the one band that ended up connecting that 70s glam with 80s hard rock was Van Halen. And they were huge in the late 70s and the early 80s. And they were this band that had this sort of newer hard rock kind of sound going. But they also put on a fucking show. And a lot of these glam metal and hard rock bands that were coming up in the 80s, I feel like they were all trying to out Van Halen Van Halen. And that's why things got so extreme with the look and the stage shows and things like that. But who was the first band that really broke out of that scene. In 1981, Motley Crue released their debut album, Too Fast for Love. And that album has a very raw sound. 
It's a little more of a glam rock. It's not very metal, but they had that kind of edge going on. And honestly, in 1981, there really wasn't anybody else doing that sort of thing the way that Motley Crue was doing it. And they, right out of the gate, were trying to make sure that you fucking remembered them whenever you saw them. But guess what? They had the fucking songs to back it up to. In fact, once that needle hits that vinyl, you immediately get to hear the amazing song Live Wire. That song kicks my ass even today. And you also got piece of your action on that album too. But the most important thing about that first record is that the band sounds tight as fuck. They sound interesting. Like this band has something to offer that's unique and exciting and It struck a chord not only with music fans, but with other bands as well. And by 1983, there were a whole lot of bands starting to pop up that were doing a similar sound to what Motley Crue was doing. Now, the big ones around that time that were getting the big hits were bands like Quiet Riot. Now, Quiet Riot had been around since 1977, but it wasn't until the Metal Health album when they released the single Come On, Feel the Noise that they really started to explode. But... Also in 1983, Motley Crue proved to everyone that they were not going to suffer the sophomore slump, and they released the album Shout at the Devil. Now, this is a fucking classic album. Take it away from the canon of Motley Crue in the 80s glam metal explosion. It is a classic metal album. I don't care what you say. It's so good from beginning to end. You got Shout at the Devil, you got Looks That Kill, you got Bastard, you got Too Young to Fall in Love. Holy shit. And also, continuing the thread from their first album, this album really didn't sound like a lot of other bands. They had their own fucking thing going on. And they even adapted their style a little bit to where before they were kind of like leather rocker kind of guys, and now all of a sudden it was like fucking Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome kind of shit. They were exciting. And so, of course, around that time, them and a lot of their contemporaries were all experiencing a lot of success. And you had some newer great bands like Rat that were coming out at that point with their debut Out of the Cellar, another fucking great album. But also in 1984, you had Twisted Sister, who was getting some hits, and they had started off in the 70s as well. So there was really this like free-for-all of exciting and over-the-top rock and roll bands that were just dropping out of everywhere. And by this point, MTV had become a pretty big thing, so a lot of these bands were getting a shitload of exposure, which in turn breeds more bands. Everybody wants a piece of this shit. And at the top of it was Motley Crue. And so their third album, Theater of Pain, you can kind of tell that they got a bit caught up in their own hype and kind of rested on their laurels a little bit and didn't really try to push things for that record. A majority of the songs are kind of forgettable. But that really didn't matter because the album became a hit based on the strength of one song alone, and that was the ballad Home Sweet Home. Yeah, a fucking classic song. And really, it was kind of the first big metal ballad, and it fucking blew up. And hence, the quote-unquote monster ballad was born. And then, shit went from being very popular to fucking insane. 
1986? What happened in 1986? Oh, Bon Jovi released the album Slippery When Wet, Poison burst onto the scene with Look What the Cat Dragged In, and Cinderella released their debut, Night Songs, a personal favorite of mine. And not only that, even more older bands were getting involved in this shit too. At this point, Kiss had gone full glam metal, which I guess made sense because they had removed their makeup, and so they found just a new way to be sort of visually over the top. But then, just as the makeup was getting thicker and the hairdos were getting higher, Motley Crue, almost like they could already read the writing on the wall, kind of changed direction a little bit and went back and threw on their denim and leather again and released the album Girls, Girls, Girls which was a little less glammy, a little more straightforward rock and roll, but had some killer tracks on it, especially the opener, Wild Side, That is a Motherfucker of a Song, and of course, the hit song, Girls, 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 which you may have heard in numerous strip clubs over the years. But once again, they had a very successful album on their hands. And what else happened in 1987? Do I even need to say it? Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses came out, and that was a fucking game changer, and guess what? Motley Crue didn't even flinch. So as 1988 flew by, and you got to see albums like Open Up and Say Ah by Poison that were topping the charts, Motley Crue were going back at it and getting ready to release their most successful album to date. But before we get there, let's talk about what was happening in 1989. By that point... Glam metal slash hair metal had become ridiculously popular. Let me just spout off some names from around that year. Warrant, Skid Row, Dangerous Toys, Pretty Boy Floyd, Great White, Mr. Big, Danger Danger, White Lion, Enough Zenough, Faster Pussycat, Britney Fox. Now, I do understand that a lot of these bands started a few years earlier, but in 1989, they were all putting out albums, and experiencing a lot of success. But I don't think any of them had as much success as Motley Crue did with the album Dr. Feelgood. And going back and listening to that album now, it almost seems like a greatest hits album. It's got Dr. Feelgood, Kickstart My Heart, Without You, Same Old Situation, Don't Go Away Mad, Just Go Away. Come the fuck on, people! This album was huge! And it sounded huge, thanks to the production of Mr. Bob Rock, who was already known for making a band like The Cult sound fucking huge, and just a couple years later would make a really amazing album called The Black Album with a band called Metallica. So it seemed like everything was going super fucking well in the Motley Crue world, huh? But apparently it wasn't. Apparently the band weren't getting along with Vince Neil, or he wasn't getting along with them, or whatever. I'm sure the movie will cover that. But... They ended up releasing a pretty awesome Greatest Hits collection called Decade of Decadence with a pretty damn good original new song called Primal Scream, but that was really it. The next time we got something from Motley Crue, it was 1994. Grunge had already become a big thing. They had kicked Vince Neil out, or he quit, depending on who you're listening to, and they had recruited John Karabi as their new vocalist and released the utterly disappointing self-titled Motley Crue album. Now, when I say disappointing, I don't necessarily mean I don't like it. It's not bad at all. It's got that badass Bob Rock production, and it's got some good songs on it. But the record-buying public just wasn't there for them that time. Now, since I'm covering the 80s glam metal explosion in this episode, I'm not going to go too much further into that. 
honestly, the stuff that Motley Crue put out in the 90s and early 2000s is okay. I'm not a huge fan, but I still love Motley Crue, and I still love all of those bands, well, a majority of the bands from that 80s glam metal explosion. And the thing that kind of sucks about how that period of music is represented is that people tend to focus too much on the visual aspect of the bands, which it's appropriate since they were putting such a great emphasis on what they looked like, but now, almost 20 plus years removed from that whole scene, the MTV music hype machine and everything that was surrounding it, it's easier to listen to these albums and hear how good a lot of the songs are, but not only that, how talented many of these bands were. It's easy to look back on it and throw all of it into this boy band pile, like these guys were manufactured and didn't really know how to play their instruments, but that's not fucking true. Some people were more talented than others, but they were all trying to push themselves as songwriters, as musicians, as performers. They were, despite all the woo-hoo-its-party-time music videos, they were serious, dedicated, music-loving rock and roll warriors who were out there living it and doing it and giving it back to the masses. And so now, I think it's very nice that one of these bands, arguably the best, is finally getting this worldwide spotlight and hopefully kids that have never touched a record and have no idea that MTV ever played music videos and think that the coolest thing in the world is to be a YouTuber. Not that I'm bashing that, considering I'm trying to be one too. Please go to my YouTube page. But these kids are going to get a glimpse into what people like me considered the coolest fucking thing you could be. And maybe they'll get turned on to the music. And maybe they'll get turned on to other music. And maybe they'll decide to start a band. And maybe we can get this whole great big rock and roll machine going again. What do you say, folks? This is around the time that they wake me up in my old folks' home and say, Mr. Ivy, it's time for your medication. And I'll say, why did you have to wake me up? I was having the best dream ever. And so I'm pretty fucking excited to see The Dirt when it premieres on Netflix this Friday. And I'll end up letting you all know what I think of it, probably in a YouTube video. So if you're listening to this as a podcast, please go to Old Head Podcast on YouTube and subscribe and like my videos. That's the little thumbs up thing. And comment. That's the little spaces down below when you can type shit. And also go to oldheadpodcast.com if you want to just find an easy way to get the links to all of my shit. So that's all I got for today. But before I go, a little something for you rockers that are my age and a little older, like my friend Gustavo from Brazil. I'll paraphrase some lyrics from the classic song Kickstart My Heart. 
When we're enraged or hitting the stage, adrenaline rushing through our veins, and I'd say we're still kicking ass. So keep kicking ass, everybody, and I'll see you all next time. Bye.